Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Money and Me, the show where we speak to people who are making their money work harder for themselves and investors as well. Today, we talk to a man who worked for one of the biggest tech names in the world, but left his 400000 a year job at Amazon mid-pandemic to start a company to make underwear that was high quality, uh, performance-based, all at wallet-friendly prices. The brand is called All Citizens. Danny Charbonnet felt compelled to found his own direct-to-consumer menswear line back in 2017 to solve a specific pain point. Going to find out what that is in a while. He designed the prototype himself with just 3000 US dollars in savings. The homegrown brand has since seen 300% growth in 2021 alone. It counts over 20,000 customers all over the world, plans to expand to the United Kingdom and Australia next year, and has bagged one point. 2 million US dollars in pre-seed funding. Welcome, founder of All Citizens, Danny Charbonnet. How are you, Danny? I'm good. How are you doing, Michelle? Really well. So you started with comfortable men's underwear. The line has expanded to carry performance dress shirts, I understand, and training shorts as well. Take me back to 2017. What was the pain point, Danny? Yeah, so Michelle, I feel like every guy comes to a point in their life where they no longer want their moms buying their clothes for them anymore, especially their underwear and socks. And Let's so, hope. <laughs> and so, uh, so call me a late bloomer, but I came to this realization a few years after university. And like most clueless guys, for shopping for the first time, I researched online, I went to department stores, and I was met with hundreds of brands and thousands of different underwear options. Hmm. And, you know, again, I, I, was just, I was on a very simple mission just to find the most comfortable pair of underwear. And I tried over 20 of those different brands, ranging from very cheap to very expensive. And what I realized was that good underwear is expensive and affordable options just aren't comfortable. And although there are thousands of options to choose from, all underwear pretty much falls under one of three categories, none of which are great for consumers. So on one hand, you have the scratchy mass market retailers that are very affordable, but very low quality. And they cost between five to $15 per pair. On the other end of the spectrum, you have expensive designer labels that focus on branding and aesthetic rather than, you know, comfort and versatility. And they cost 40, 50, sometimes $60 per pair. And then you have these new online brands that have slightly better product, but still have high price tags. And so ultimately, this led me to ask, why are comfort and affordability mutually exclusive? And that was the question that sparked the idea for all citizens, as well as our mission to democratize comfort. So you have four children, is that right? No, I have no children at the moment. You have no children. Okay, (laughs) it's good to check these things. Did you start this company while you had your day job? Yes, absolutely. So I started it with just $3,000 as my initial purchase of inventory, uh, and I was working full-time at the time. Okay, so was the plan always to leave your day job and start your a company? No, not at all. I, actually, I was, uh, I was doing very well at Amazon. I was getting promoted and, and getting recognized at such a young age, and, and I had no intention of, of le- for entrepreneurship or leaving the company at all. Uh, Amazon treated me very well and, and had really good compensation. Um, but there was just this, this itch and this, this kind of longing inside me where I just felt like this, this very core product and this very core um, requirement of comfort just was not being met by what was available on market. On top of that, all the competitors out there were just very expensive. And I thought there was, this is an industry ripe for disruption. 
Were you inspired by Sarah Blakely in any way? Uh, no, not Sarah Bickley specifically, but a few other entrepreneurs similar to her. Uh, there was Jeffrey Rader, who started Warby Parker as well as Harry's in the U.S., mm-hmm. um, as, as well as Michael Priesman. And, and, you know, when I was looking at starting this company, I really started following both of those people and their journey as well. Michael Priesman, did you say? Yeah, Michael Priesman from uh, Everlane. Everlane. Okay, that's yeah. a sportswear brand. Uh, it's a basics brand in the U.S. Right, right. Okay. So tell me, what makes underwear comfortable is it um, let's talk about the fabric first up you know i did a little bit of research i didn't know there was bamboo underwear Um, all sorts of fabric goes into making underwear these days what did you decide on yeah so i decided on an eco-friendly performance microfiber and and what that is is essentially it's uh, eco-friendly meaning it's made from recycled uh, fabrics um, so they actually break down and collect recycled fabrics and then recreate it into new fibers as well. So because we're not using any virgin materials, it helps significantly reduce our uh, energy and, and material consumption. So I decided on, on this performance microfiber because I want, there are certain features that I wanted in the fabric that I thought helps with comfort. So for instance, you know, in, in Singapore, it's very hot and humid and so people tend to sweat. And so you want fabric that does not absorb sweat, but instead wicks sweat instead. And so bamboo and cotton, they're great materials, but they absorb sweat. And you tend to, you know, walk outside for a few minutes and then sit inside in your, your cold air conditioning office, mm. sitting in a pool of sweat if you're wearing cotton or, or bamboo. So that's why you want these performance microfibers instead. Okay, take us on your entrepreneurship journey. So you have this idea. You have no retail background. You have a prototype that you drew up yourself or you create it with $3,000 in savings. How do you go mm. about finding your manufacturers? <laughs> That's a great question. So actually, it took me about 10 months of searching uh, to find the right manufacturer. And so I went to trade shows in New York City. I met with a lot of other uh, contacts that I made in the space. Again, I, I came from you know management consulting and tech, which is completely unrelated. So I had no network and no background in retail. Mm. And, and you know, after going to a few trade shows and just meeting more and more people, uh, I started working with um, six different factories over the course of those 10 months. And by the sixth factory, it was about nine months in. And, you know, the, the challenge was that either the factory wasn't able to produce the quality that I wanted or they weren't, they were much, uh, they couldn't produce at the price that I wanted. And again, I wanted to democratize comfort by creating better products at much more affordable prices. So it needed to have this comfort as well, comfort and quality, as well as the price component too. And so the challenge was that, you know, because I wasn't from industry, it just took me a really long time to find the right factory. And after about nine months, I was actually about to give up on the idea. You know, I don't have contacts here. Maybe it's just not meant for me. Maybe someone else needs to start this brand who has the network and and everything. Um, And and so after about the 10th month, um, someone had reached out, a contact that I had made had reached out who had put me in touch with someone else who then put me in touch with someone else. And that ended up being a factory that works with, I won't name the, the brands, but they work with one of the largest men's designer underwear brands in the world, as well as one of the largest mid-range or mass market um, underwear brands in the world as well. Terrific. And so they, they definitely know what they're doing in terms of the, the designer labels and high quality, as well as the price point with the mass market. And so I'm still working with that factory today. So this is in the middle of COVID when you get this going, when there's all the supply chain disruptions, is that right? So 
actually, I started this uh, a few years a few years ago um, before COVID, and um, and I actually I was planning on keeping my full time job and just having this uh, become a, a kind of a creative outlet that was actually very profitable mm. uh, and making a lot of money. And then uh, it started getting to a place where my corporate career required much more of my mental space and time. Right. Uh, my my new marriage also required more of my mental space and time, and then mm. also my startup required the same thing. And it got to a point where I just needed to to pick and choose one or two of the paths. And and I felt that there was a lot more opportunity with starting all citizens. And of course, you know, my wife and my family are, are number one in, in that choice too. And so I decided to leave Amazon and, and, and pursue all citizens full time. And it's been almost uh, two years now pursuing it full time. So you started off in 2020 and right from the get go. So you're working with this factory. Does it matter to you where your manufacturer is sited? If, you know, what was your initial audience? Were you already thinking of selling to the world? Did you want a manufacturer sited in the U.S. or sited in Asia? No, so manufacturing didn't, the location of manufacturing didn't matter too much to me. The, the core parts of, of what I was looking for for manufacturing were essentially very high quality and understanding how to uh, produce very much more complex garments than just the mass market garments you're seeing today mm-hmm. and the simple designs you're seeing today. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also at, at the right price point. And so China ended up being a great place to source most of our products, mm-hmm. uh, because they kind of act as a one-stop shop. They produce really great fabrics as well as great cutting and sewing capability. Um, now, we are looking at other uh, countries as well, such as Vietnam and Thailand, to, to, to kind of diversify our production. But for the most part, China has been kind of our, our point of contact so far. How complex is this underwear? <laughs> it's, uh, le- le- it's uh, you know, the, the way I describe shopping for underwear to, to women is that it's very similar to how women shop for bras. You know, you know, men tend to think that, you know, a bra is a bra, but actually every brand has a different fit. Um, every brand has a different design and you have to try on a lot to, to, in order to figure out the right fit and size and, and everything is. It's the same thing for men, you know, you know, not to get too illust- illustrative here, but we have a lot of moving pieces down there. And, and so, you know, in, in terms of creating a much better product, we actually started using uh, kind of like three, three-dimensional modeling a bit uh, wow. to create our products because, you know, we, we wanted to create a, what we call the Paradise Pocket, which is a patent-pending design. And essentially what it does is it separates your family jewels from your thighs. And the only way to really create something like that with fabric is to kind of create a three-dimensional shape and a three-dimensional pocket. And so it took a lot of trial and error and a lot of prototyping with our factory, but you know, the result is, you know, some of the best performing underwear, not, not according to me, according to our customers, because I'm pretty biased, I guess, but <laughs> according to our customers, some pretty life-changing underwear is the result. So you use 3D modeling, this is pretty high-tech stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I will say 3D, I mean, it wasn't like I was building out CAD models or anything, <laughs> but I will say that I was drawing a lot of things on my iPad and then trying to figure out the designs and then working with our designers as well to figure this out. Fantastic. Listen, we're Money FM, so I have to ask the money question. When it comes to finances, what is the reality? How much was needed to get this brand off the ground, Danny? Yeah, so I, so I, you know, I always, I say that I started a brand with three thousand dollars, and that was the initial inventory purchase. But it requires so much more beyond that um, to to start a business. I mean, of course, you have the technology cost and creating the website and designing the website and all that. But I wouldn't say that it requires a significant amount of money. You know, I, at the time I was working in management consulting, and I was able to pretty much bootstrap and self fund the business for the first few years. Uh, a business. And what this allowed me to do is really create a strong foundation for the business um, that will help that eventually helped us have the right numbers and growth to show investors when I eventually raised that 1.2 million uh, last year. 
Um, and so, so, you know, I, again, you know, my, my advice to most entrepreneurs is that you don't actually need a lot of money to start. Um, you just need to go ahead and get started and just be financially responsible about how you spend that money. That's fantastic advice. And, and since you had worked in management consulting, did you know what investors would be looking for? You bagged 1.2 million U.S. dollars in pre-seed funding. How did that happen? How important was the pitch to that? Yeah, the, the pitch was very important. But I, I would say that, you know, in startup investors, uh, like angel investors, um, they get pitched a million ideas a day. Right. And, you know, ideas um, are easy to come by, but execution is much harder, right? And so, mm. so I think that what really helped me was not only my, my pitch and my vision was, was very sound, but then also on top of that, I was able to show real concrete numbers and growth behind everything I was talking about. And so when I said that our products are performing better than what's available on market, you know, of course I had the qualitative uh, customer reviews on our website, and then we have thousands of those. But on top of that, I had real factual numbers. You know, we have a very high repeat customer rate, which means the majority of our customers, after they try our first product, come back and buy more within 30 days. And that's a very strong sign that we have a great product or at least a great price point, one of the two. Um, another thing that I showed investors is that we have a very high uh, website conversion rate. And so it's, you know, it's twice, our website conversion rate is twice the industry average. And what this conversion rate means is essentially for every thousand people that arrive on your website, what percentage of those will actually make a purchase? And again, ours is twice the, the industry average. And what that signals is that our value proposition of better products and better price is really resonating with customers. Well, it was going direct to consumer always part of the, the initial business plan or, you know, was that something that you had to do because it was expensive to get shelf space? The initial plan was definitely direct consumer. Not that we were shying away from um, offline or, or physical retail. Mm-hmm. It's just that it was the easiest to stand up because it's very it, it's much easier to stand up and distribute the products yourselves first, rather than relying on these large department stores for large POs. Um, and so, you know, I, I, right now we're in the ch- we're in the phase of business where we're actually expanding and looking into offline channels to see if that's the right mark, you know uh, mix for us. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, we we distribute directly through our website. Uh, I see you're expanding into United Kingdom and Australia. I don't know about this freedom pocket and, and whether or not things have to change given, you know, different territories that you go into. I would say the customer preferences of the underwear fits are slightly different. So right. in the U.S., by a long shot, boxer briefs are the most popular. Um, and, then, and then in the U.K. and Australia, we've, we've pulled our customers and done our own research, and it turns out that boxer briefs and trunks are the most popular, followed very closely by briefs. Whereas in the U.S., it's, it's boxer briefs by a long shot, and then trunks is a very distant second. Um, so we have had to create a different uh, production mix um, for U.K. and Australia, but we're already selling those products in the U.S., so it wasn't too much of a heavy lift, just changing around the quantities of production. What a great story. So you move from boxer briefs to performance dress shirts as well. Tell us <laughs> about your ideas on building this business and scaling in particular. Yeah, so I, I always say that we want to address the entire men's wardrobe and the men's closet uh, because there's so much. Um, you know, I feel like there's a, a, the, the industry has been a bit stagnant. You know, right now we have very advanced performance fabrics that are used in athletic clothing, but why can't you translate that into using it for office wear, for instance? Mm. And so, you know, maybe in Singapore, commuting on your bike is a bit too hot, but in the U.S. and U.K. and Australia, if you commute to work on your bike. Um, and it's a nice, it's nice weather outside. You don't tend to sweat too much, but you want material that stretches and, and manages uh, moisture and, and dries quickly. Um, and so, you know, for, you know, one of the challenges is that when you pick up gym wear, um, it, re- it has a certain type of sheen or shine to the fabric, and it really looks kind of like 
gym wear that that cannot be really be uh, replacing a cotton a crisp cotton shirt in the office. So we spent a lot of time in R and D mixing and blending our own fabrics um, to to figure out a way to create a fabric that is wrinkle resistant and has all the performance features that we wanted, but also look like a regular cotton dress shirt. Wow. Um, so it took a lot of time to figure that out. And, you know, we, we were able to launch that product at less than half the price of, of most other performance menswear dress shirts. That's going to be a winner if it's iron free. Do you have to iron it? Oh, it's wrinkle resistant. It's moisture wicking, quick drying, stretchy. Uh, it's, it's a great, I mean, I, I travel with the shirts all the time, obviously, and I just pull them right out of the, the, the suitcase and they're ready to go. And it looks like a starch white shirt. Exactly. It's very crisp. And actually, I get a lot more compliments because people say that, wow, you do a great job of ironing. And I said, no, actually, I didn't iron at all. It's just the natural uh, characteristics of the fabric. Oh, I can hear lots of men starting to Google all citizens right now. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of your audience, um, what are plans for expanding and maybe going to women's wear? Yeah, I get get asked about women's wear all the time. You know, I think that uh, for the most part, you know, I came into All Citizens as, as a guy with a very specific challenge and a very specific problem that I wanted to solve. And you know, I won't begin to I won't begin to uh, to pretend that I understand all the challenges that women have with their clothing. Mm. But I do have a lot of women in our life that I that I always survey and pull um, a lot. And I think at one point we may eventually expand into women's, but for the most part, there's so much more to be done in the menswear space that I think we'll hold off in the women's for for a while. Fantastic. But in terms of mm-hmm. yeah. You're going to oh, focus, term, focus, yeah, right? Exactly, yeah. In terms of year-on-year year growth, I think the challenge for entrepreneurs is how do you become a brand when you're an unknown? How do you build your audience? Yeah, that was a really tough uh, tough one for me. You know, I, I mentioned that I um, I started a brand and, and you know, after about 10 months, I finally found uh, the factory that I wanted to work with that could produce the product that I wanted. And I was almost about to give up on the idea. So after a few more months that we produced that, that first run of underwear, I received it in my apartment and I realized that, wow, the, 10 month, the past 10 months of slogging and finding this factory was just gets me to ground zero. Now I have to learn how to market and sell this thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, initially, you know, friends and family were very supportive and, and they would share and they would refer their friends to our website. So we started growing initially with, with this, that kind of groundswell. But what really kind of set the brand apart and really kind of skyrocketed our growth was um, all of a sudden, a few months into the brand, um, I, I sold out of all my inventory immediately. And so I went to go check where that traffic was coming from. And it came from um, websites like Reddit and other kind of forum websites. Mm. Where men were writing about, you know, their experience with certain brands and certain clothing and, and, and certain experiences with, with all types of things beyond just clothing. And, and one guy had written, he also went on a similar journey as me. He, he tried like 20 or 30 different underwear brands ranging from expensive to affordable. And he created this really in-depth Excel about uh, all different brands as rows and then all the features as columns. And he said, I'm ranking, he ranked every single brand across every single feature and gave them an end score. And all citizens ended up winning that, uh, that review. Wow. And a month later, he created a second follow-up review. He, he tried several more brands and actually all citizens won that as well. And we beat out some of the major brands like Calvin Klein, uh, Hugo Boss, Armani, as well as some of the direct consumer brands in the U S that were getting a lot of notoriety. So, you know, that was kind of the initial uh, spur of, of the brand. And then from there, we just really started developing our referral program and, and started doing advertisements. So just to be clear, he wasn't a planted influencer. This is entirely organic. No, this is completely organic. Actually, I reached That's out right. to him and I said, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Let me send you some underwear here. And, Here's a uh, year's yeah, worth of underwear. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely fabulous, Danny. Before we let yeah. you go, what would you like to say to the would-be entrepreneurs out there bootstrapping their dreams? Uh, just get started. You know, it's, it's one, entrepreneurship is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever face. And, and you know, you'll always, you know, I, I'd say that my business is going very well right now and I'm always stressed out. And so just prepare that it'll be a tough time. You know, the highs are very high and the lows are very low. So just make sure you stay the course and, and keep pursuing on and stay resilient. Fantastic. Great meeting you, Danny, and good luck with All Citizens. Thanks so much for having me. Founder of All Citizens, 20,000 customers around the world, $1.2 million in pre-seed funding, plans to expand to the UK and Australia. Danny Charbonnet there, joining us on Your Money. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg. Or download our audio app, that's A-W-E-D-I-O, available on Google Play or the App Store.